Well, you begin with Apollo 8. This is before Apollo 11. How many of you were around with Apollo 8? No need to date yourself. Just raise your hand high. You're more mature. You're, look at you. You were there. And Houston couldn't turn them off. That would have been funny. But they didn't reach out for any other religious book. They didn't reach out for some science text. They opened the Bible. And they read the first ten verses of Scripture. This entire series is to help us build a biblical worldview. The idea of worldview broken down is how we view the world. And so it's the lenses through which we see life. Genesis 1, 1 through 2, 3 is a poetic, apologetic for one God who created the whole universe with order and beauty. Last week, we looked at the first sentence alone and we saw that there is a God and he exists and that God created and that that God created everything. And this week, we're going to see how that God created everything good and he created man and woman special. The main point I get from this book, I want to give credit to Sidney Gradonis, Preaching Christ from Genesis. I've adapted it slightly, but the main point of this text, the main point of Genesis 1, 1 through 2, 3, thus the main point of this sermon is with powerful words, the king of the universe created the earth good and for good. With powerful words, the king of the universe created the earth good and for good. And what you're going to see is in 1 and 2 is an introduction to the chapter. And then in 3 through 31, you're going to see the explanation of creation. And in 2, 1 through 3, you're going to see the reason for creation, the conclusion to this chapter. Genesis 1, 1 and 2, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Last week we saw that there was a prime mover, there was an initial cause, there was space, there was mass that gives us time. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The cosmological argument, you can sit with your neighbors and say, for something to exist, that the world exists and therefore it didn't have to exist and for it to exist, it had to come from somewhere. And you can believe in the creator king of the universe or you can believe in something else. But it all comes down to belief. And I'm here to tell you that this accounting of, of the creation of the universe makes more sense logically, scientifically, rhetorically, literarily than any account that is out there. This account, another friend and I, uh, who's a pastor, is preaching through this at the same time, and so we spar during the week, said it like this. I could spend 12 weeks on this chapter. Yes, you could. You could spend an entire year on this. It is daunting. And so the God creates the heaven and the earth, and this is... He's using language to communicate to a people who are in the wilderness, who are surrounded by polytheism and other gods. And he's taking that language and he's showing us here that this what you hear going on out there, I'm going to give you 
the truth and I'm going to make sense of the confusion. And so what they were hearing was the earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. The idea of void and deep is the idea that there was nothing and there was a bunch of confusion. But God says, no, I created everything and I, I gave it shape and then I filled it. This accounting of the universe, not just mankind, but all of the universe, is in opposition to macroevolution. Nobody would deny microevolution on small scale um, events. Dogs get thicker hair when it's colder. Our skin adjusts, right, to the colder weather. That I can go out. Now, when it's 30 degrees, and go for a run and go, it's kind of warm. The skin has adjusted. I won't even use the term adapted. It just adjusts. That's how God created it. But philosophical naturalism that tries to say our origins are in evolution is absolutely false. It's built upon uh, non-factual science to some degree and belief that we came from a big bang from Mother Nature in that the universe has always been. And we see in these two verses the Trinity at work. Last week I showed you John 1, 1 through 3. Jesus Christ was God and with God and the world came into being through Him and you see God creates and Jesus is there and here you see the Spirit of God. The silent shepherd who does not get as much credit as he should from the church today, at least in some uh, camps, but he's there. And he's right there working with the Father and the Son. And so we get into verse 3 and it's an actual pattern that you can see. There's an announcement. There's a commandment. There's separation. He names. When you name something, you have authority over it. God names the sun, moon, and stars. There's a report and it was so or it was good. There's an evaluation and there's this sequential framework. Day one. Day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, day seven. And he does this sequential framework through three panels, light, water, and land. You will see a definite pattern here. He will form light, form water, form land, and then he will fill that panel of lights, and then he will fill that panel of water, and then he will fill that panel of land. Why light, water, and land? Because these are the building blocks of life. Macro-Darwinian evolution does not deal with these. They think we, and they believe in, either a big bang or an eternal universe, which is kind of weird, right? Because if the universe is eternal, then why are we so concerned with our limited natural resources? If things have always been here, why are we worried about that or global warming for that matter it should take care of itself to which now and I will use the term in its true sense and not being rude there are silly authors trying to say that well it seems now there's global cooling going on and that's caused by global warming that's nonsensical but it's in the New York Times and people read it and they they read it, oh, well, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's in the New York Times. Global warming is causing global cooling. No, 
Mother Nature must be playing some big tricks on us or, or it's not about Mother Nature. It's about God the Father. Really, God the Creator King. I just have one verse for those who would, who would believe that we came from something else and, and it's Job's word, it's not mine. So if Job says it, God intended it, and if the words he uses are there, don't blame me. But Job said in, in chapter 11, verse 2, but a stupid man, that's what Job said, not me, but a stupid man will get understanding when a wild donkey's colt is born a man. Job 11, 2. I'll just leave it at that. Why would God be using light, water, and land? Why would God be making, a, making evidence for creation? It's because in the ancient Near East, remember who he's talking to, those wandering in the wilderness. In the ancient Near East, there was an account of creation that went something like this. According to the ancient Babylonian creation epic Enuma Elish, their head god Marduk, known in the Hebrew as Merodach, was the creator of heaven and earth. And it all began when Marduk battled the ocean goddess Tiamat. Now just listen to this account of where the universe begins and why God would speak so clearly into this. The Lord spread out his net. That is, the Lord here is not the Lord that you and I know. This is Marduk. And encircled her, Tiamat, the ill wind he had held behind him and released in her face. Tiamat opened her mouth to swallow. He thrust in the ill wind so she could not close her lips. The raging winds bloated her belly. Her insides were stopped. She gaped her mouth wide. He shot an arrow. It broke open her belly. And it cut her innards and pierced her heart. Ah, it sounds like God I want to follow. He subdued her and snuffed out her life. He flung down her carcass. He took his stand on it. And he split her into two like a fish for drying. Half of her set up and was made to cover the heaven. Oh, so that's how we got the sky. And he stretched out the hide and assigned it watchmen and ordered them not to let her waters escape. Oh, that's how we got the seas. And he crossed over, and he expected, inspected its firmament. Marduk next made positions for the great gods he established in constellations, the stars, and he made the moon appear. Returning to the other half of the slain Tiamat, he spread half of her as a cover and established the netherworld. Oh, that's where hell came from. Then Marduk said, I shall create humankind, and they shall bear the gods' burden that those may rest, and he made humankind from the blood of an executed traitor god, Quingnu. Okay, that makes good sense. And after this, the great gods convened, they made Marduk's destiny highest, and they established him forever for lordship of heaven and earth. His word shall be supreme above and below, and he shall appoint the black-headed folk to serve him. In the midst of that chaos where we came from the carcass of a dead ocean goddess. God says, no. And I'm going to just use their language against them. The ancient Near Eastern cultures worship false gods, sun, moons, and stars. And so he says, no, no, no. I created the sun, moons, and stars. And plants that were, were dependent upon God, not photosynthesis. That's why he's light. And then vegetation before he gives the sun and the moon. It's all dependent upon God. 
And so in three through five, we get the first panel. Then God said. God didn't go to work for a long time. He just spoke. Then God said. It's matter of fact. It's instantaneous. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. He commanded it, and it was so. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from darkness. God called the light day, and darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning one day. God did not need the sun and the moon and the stars. He himself is the light. Using Scripture to interpret Scripture, you could go to the back of your Bible, to Revelation 21, 23, or 22, 5, where it says, in the end, which is supposed to be the restoration, the way it was in the beginning, so if the beginning was good and the end will be good, it says here in the end, in 21, 3 and 22, 5, in the city there will be no more sun, for he himself is the light. How's that going to work scientifically? Don't know, but God said it, and I will trust it. We won't have a sun in the new heavens and the new earth, not according to Revelation 21, 23. But but Moses, writing to a people wandering in the wilderness, making sense of the world around him, said, God said, let there be light. He forms it and then he will fill it with the sun, moon, and stars. And then there was evening and there was morning. That's how the Hebrews saw the day from sunset to sunset. And they begin with the evening and the end in the morning. And you're thinking, there's a new day coming. Why start with light? This is just me personally. Haven't read it anywhere, but it makes sense. Because God speaking in the common man's language thought, well, you got to see, right? Luke gets up in the morning, and what's the first thing he does? He turns on his light. And then he goes to work creating with his little trio box. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he said, let there be light. And it was so. Next panel, he says, Then God said, again, you will see that ten times the number of completion. God said it, and it was so. Let there be an expanse in the midst of waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. As you and I look up to the bright blue sky, we would often say, wow, it's ocean blue. And if you're looking down to the sea, and so he's separating the waters from the waters using their language. And God made the expanse and separated the waters which was below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening, and there was morning, a second day. Another note against ancient Near Eastern accounts. It is out of the gods of watery chaos, Apsu, Tiamat, and Mumu, that creation comes. The biblical creation counts. It's in stark contrast to such dark mythological polytheism. In the biblical account, water at creation is no deity. It is simply something God created. It serves as material in the hands of the sole sovereign creator. Love that. It's material. It's Plato. My kids sit down at the table, flip on the light, and we give them Plato. And they go to work because they're made in the image of God and they're naturally going to create. And there's the material. It's not a water god. Poseidon doesn't rule over the water. God created it. And no, really no English word can 
can make sense of the Hebrew word of heavens of heavens. In the context, it's what we see above us. So yes, it includes atmosphere and beyond. And then he says again, then God said, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place and let dry land appear. And it was so. It's matter of fact. And it was so. The land was separated from the waters. And here we get God saying, God called the dry land earth. In the gathering of the waters, he called seas. And God saw that it was good. God's work is beautiful. God's work for it to be good says this is how he intended it. And when we go against God's ways, it is not beautiful or good. And God gives us vegetation. Amen, Ben Daly. Then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit after their kind. And he goes on with seed in them. And it was so. Matter of fact, the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. He not only starts to establish here are the forms, light, water, land. He's now putting into place processes by which this created earth would reproduce. Fruit, seeds, bearing seed after their kind. It is the process of reproduction. It is the DNA of the universe. And I love this quote by Bruce Walkie. Because of God's largeness, an apple tree does not produce one apple, but thousands. Grain of wheat gives us, and it multiplies itself a hundredfold. What you're starting to see in this passage is symmetry, light, water, and land. And though it's not mentioned until chapter 7 where rain comes, God is establishing the process through which all of life works. Rain falls. It waters the land. It rolls down the land and it gathers into rivers. And by the way, we live, praise God, we, we live in a place where you get to see all this. Love Texas, but you don't get to see all this. You see it come down. You have rights to it, don't you? And it comes down the river. And then the rivers flow. And you can say, and we, we get to see and we cross over the continental divide. Water goes this way and that way. It rolls into the seas and it comes into the seas. And then when God wants to, he sucks it up, moves it over to this part of the world and drops it. As we sing, you and I would say, indescribable. I wouldn't have done it like that. I wouldn't have thought. Okay, so the water can fall, and, I can, and then and then it goes downhill. Oh, so grav- that's a gravity pull. Okay. Wow. And he disperses it wherever he wishes. God is in the heavens, Psalm 115, and he does whatever he pleases. But listen to Job. Listen to Job. In Job 39... Starting, or excuse me, Job 37, starting in verse 9. Elihu, who is the only one that didn't get rebuked, is speaking about God. And he says, out of the south comes the storm. And out of the north, the cold. Yeah, we know that, don't we? And from the breath of God, ice is made. 
And the expanse of the waters is frozen. Also the moisture. He loads the thick clouds. And he disperses the clouds of his lightning. It changes direction, turning around by his guidance, that it may do whatever he commands it on the face of the inhabited earth. Look at verse 13. Context. Whether for correction, whether for correction, literally the rod, or for his world, or for loving kindness, he causes it to happen. Storms can come for correction, according to Job. Storms can come just for common grace, just for his world, according to Job. And storms can come because of his loving kindness, according to Job. And it all goes back to this Genesis 1, and that's how it works. He's set in order the process. He not only creates the universe, he creates how it's going to work. And now he's going to fill Light, water, land. He's going to fill it. Light, water, land. Then God said, love that. Let there be lights in the expanse of heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. The lights serve a purpose. And let them be for lights in the expanse of heavens to give light to the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. You cannot read into this text any more than needs to be read into it. These are people wandering in the wilderness and they're saying, during the day there's this big yellow thing and at night there's the white thing. Yeah, it's called the great light to govern the day. That's the sun and the lesser light to govern the night. That's the moon. And in essence... What Moses is explaining ends. And then it's almost like, and he didn't, but it's like he forgot and he goes, oh yeah, and the stars. Just shrugs his shoulders. God is speaking in plain language. There's no hidden meaning here. You can't look into this text and find anything else but then what God is describing creation. The greater light is the sun, the lesser light is the night, and then stars. And then when you start to see stars and how great big they are. If you were here prior to and just watching up there, you saw a star-sized comparison. And it begins with the moon and then the earth. And it says you are here. And then it just goes through all the planets. And they just keep getting bigger and you just, these keep getting smaller. And then you think, well, that's a big star. And then it just, that, then, then it's the sun. And you think, okay, that's huge. And then there's this other star, and then this other star, and then the sun just becomes a little blip. Stars. The V.Y. Canis Majoris is the last one he ends with. I think there may be a newer one now that's been found, but he's the red hypergiant star. I gave him a he. We don't know it. She. It. V.Y. Canis Majoris, the red hypergiant Then it shows this star with all these other stars and the sun and little bitty earth. And it shows the star and it says, here you are above it. And if you were to fly around it one time, it would take you 1,100 years. That's a mighty long time, to quote Prince. 
1,100 years. And there are several hundred billion stars in our galaxy. Our galaxy. And there are about 100 billion galaxies. We are definitely not the center of the universe. And it says God made stars. He wanted them to see the sun and the moon. That's where they're living and all those stars. Yeah, I made those. And as science has discovered, it's not for us to go, wow, science rules. It's for us to back up and go, wow. This is the Creator King who uh, shrugs his shoulders. I'll have some stars. More symmetry. Those stars don't just sit there. The moon moves around the earth. The earth moves around the sun. And it's more predictable than the most measurable watches on earth. Just a few weeks ago, somebody was telling me there was a snafu in the blessed iPhone where all the times were off. That doesn't happen with the sun, moon, and stars. So predictable, we can say, here comes the next eclipse. Get your eclipse glasses out and watch this. Or here comes, here comes Haley's Comet. Better, better. It only comes once. I don't even know the, the exact science behind it. It comes once every so many years. Get ready. It's so predictable. And God made it. And they don't rule. They don't rule. At all. If you go to Isaiah chapter 40, you can just listen or you can turn there. Stars don't rule. We don't go to astrology. In Isaiah 40, God speaking, Isaiah proclaiming, verse 25, to whom will you liken me that I should be as equal, says the Holy One. Must have been outside enjoying a, I don't know, a cured cup of coffee there on his patio. Uh, Look up. Lift your eyes on high and see who has created these. The one who leads forth their host by number, he calls them all by name. Chad Troyer star. It's the Ivan Stolfus star. Just giving you 2011 references. Number 1,136,000,000, whatever. He calls them all by name. He's named them. Named them. Come here, Luke. I mean, Lon, I mean, Lauren. I, I can't. Sometimes I go. I get them mixed up. He calls them all by name because of the greatness of his might, God, and the strength of his power. Not one of them is missing. 
billions stars. Not one of them's missing. Where'd that star go? Ah, did he get away from me? And we think omniscience, and we think just our own little earth, which is so true, but he's, he's holding it all up. He knows where all the stars are. Absolutely amazing. It, it's indescribable. It's, videos don't do it justice. You, you look at one and then somebody go, hey, remember Louis Giglio's? Yeah, that's a good one too. Where'd you get that internet? And you can just go through lists of them. Wow. That's why this is here. People wandering, wondering. Is God really in control? We're, we're surrounded by a bunch of pagan nations here who worship weird gods that kill each other to form man. Or you're Daniel. Being brought up in this. Daniel, your quiz next week is on the Enuma Elish. That's not really what it says here. But I'll, I'll understand and excel in your school system, but I will bow three times a day to this guy. Because, because in the world of chaos, in the world of, of animosity, in the world of, of all these competing religions trying to get our souls, and it's not much different today. It was more magnified then. It was more visual then. But it's still Satan is good in trying to get our hearts. This is our God. And that's not it. Those are just light, water, land. That's just light. we got two panels to go. Then God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures. Let bird. By the way, this there, you ought to. This would be good. And this just came to me. We ought to buy if we don't own it already. There's that something called the, the Amazing Earth. It was just on the Discovery Channel. It talks about you see the ocean and then you go down. So I've gone up to the stars, but you just go down in the ocean and you just see the depths and there's animals at the like in the deep, not like the deep end of the pool, eight feet. But we're talking lots of miles beneath and there's little plankton floating around. Yeah, they you just let the waters team with these. <laughs> I mean, that's unbelievable. They're just down there. Like eight miles below, you got you can't even go down there because your head would explode. And they send a little camera, and it's like, oh, wow, there's a fish. That's cool. I wonder how that evolved. That was a joke. <laughs> let the waters teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. And God created great sea monsters. So you can watch Clash of the Titans and you can see Zeus say, Release the Kraken. No, I made them. It's really not a Kraken. It's just a whale. And every living creature that moves with which the water swarmed after their kind and every wing burned after its kind. And God saw that it was good. It's good to have little fish eight miles below the sea. It's good because it reveals how good I am. And God, now watch this. God blessed them. The them in the context here is not humans. These are sea creatures. 
Bless them and fill the waters of the seas and let the birds multiply on earth. And there was evening and there was morning, a fifth day. The great sea creatures God rules over. The gray whales. I remember just being on a deep sea fishing trip in in, uh, Mexico and seeing one of those, not even probably was a baby one, come up and out of the water and you just feel dwarfed. And go, wow. And God made him. And he, he speak whales. Plankton. Because I've so ordered it that the plankton are going to work off and live off the whale. And then he just doesn't stop there. Then God said, now we're moving light, water, land. We filled it with sun, moon, and stars and the sea creatures and the birds. We can't stop until we get that land filled then God said, let the earth bring forth creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things, the beast after their kind. You have wild animals and domesticated animals. You have animals that are good to cultivate and, and reproduce and, and sell their parts. Amen. Back row to the right. You like cattle? Love cattle. God made them. And it was so Matter of fact, God made the beasts of, of the earth after their kind. So there are wild beasts and the cattle after their kind, the domesticated animals and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. And God saw that it was good. Wild beasts. I, they've taken it off the Internet because it's too good. But there is a National Geographic show Showing us how a giraffe works. You know what I'm talking about? Giraffe, long neck. So if we had one in here, it's up there. Long neck, long legs, short body. Not a whole lot of room to breathe in short the short animal. 15 liters of air per breath. Right? That's, that's seven and a half of the, like a two liter that you can get. So... In one breath, it's got to come down three liters of a neck. For it to work, those lungs have to expand and collapse, but there's ribs because you've got to have boundaries to this body. God likes boundaries. So the breath comes down and fills the lungs when the animal, I think, forward or back. We're not going to get into it. I'm not a scientist. So it comes forward and they it collapses. Then it reels back and takes in breath. 15 liters at a time. And and the scientists with British accents are saying, dramatic, spectacular. And I'm thinking, God is dramatic and spectacular. He's he's an intelligent designer. And, and, And then one of them goes, wow. So you're saying when the legs move back and forth, this expands and contracts, and it's like a piston. Yeah. And the head scientist goes, it's just a great, a great picture of design. And he pauses. He's caught himself because he is a, philosoph- he's a, he's a philosophical naturalist who's been driven all his life to say there is no creator. It's all of evolution. Yet when he's dissecting the creation, he says design and he catches himself. He looks right at the camera as if I'm going to get fired. 
and says, evolved, with a smirk on his face. The overflow of the heart, the mouth will speak. He knows in his heart. To see an animal like that, long neck, long legs, short body, and how it works like a piston, yes, it's called design. And so you try to go look it up today, and it will say, sorry, this video has been removed because we don't want you to see it and believe. Those are just land animals. What's else? What else? Well, then God said in verse 26, oh, by the way, all of this, that he's doing, light, water, land, light, water, part of the land creatures, domesticated and wild. This is just crib for the baby. You go to the Talbot's house prior to a couple days ago, and you see you see a wall painted. You see a crib. You see little land. It's a boy, so it's blue and little animals on there. It's not about the animals. It's not about where he's going to sleep. That's all this is. It's creation. It's crib for the baby. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let me just give you the best interpretation of that. Then God, singular, said, let us, plural, make man in our image. Some want to say this is the heavenly host and God's just speaking to angels and everybody who is there where He created the world. But the last time I checked, you and I are not made in the image of angels. So the us there must point to something. Maybe for those in the wilderness, this, this God is plural. And, and yes, those of you that signed the Torah, I'll just give you the answer. God the Father and and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. Genesis one one, Genesis one two, John one one through three, Colossians one sixteen and seventeen, Hebrews one three. Is this explicit here? No, but we are Christians and we read the entire Bible, so I can use the back to help me with the front. Let us make man in our image. There is. In our likeness, I am not made in the likeness of an angel. I'm made in the image of God. And this mankind that he made, and so this is, by the way, it's not, let's not import the whole trinity right there in that. It's a pre, it's, it's, it's a appetizer. It's laying the foundations. Progressive revelation. God the Father, God the Spirit, and then boom, Jesus in the Gospels, God the Son, And John tells us, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things came into being through Him, and not anything that came into being did not come into being through Him. Colossians 1, for through Him and to Him are all things. In Hebrew 1, He sustains the world. Jesus. So I'm not, it's not throw more in there than needs to be, but it sure sets the record straight where we're going. The us here must be pointing to some other group, not God and the angels, the original readers had to wait. And we New Testament readers get to look back into that and go, great, this is great. And let them, those created in the image of God, rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. 
Being made in the image of God, what separates us from the animals. By the way, we are, and students, you may have been taught this. I remember I was taught this. We are the highest of the animal realm, right? Homo sapien. No, we are altogether different from the animal realm. We're above and more. They were created with words and just spoken into existence. And you will see next week how He created us. Special. And we are to rule. What separates us from the animals is we rule. We have dominion. Some want to say, well, it's, it's, we have emotion and animals don't. I assure you, if you beat Posey, she has emotion. Well, well, we can communicate and they can't. Go to Discovery Channels. Meerkats, can, they can communicate. But not like us. We are above all animals and we are more. We are created in the image of God. And it, it, is, it is offensive to tell me that I came from an ape. It's offensive to me. It's a hate crime. (laughs) Having fun with that one. I am different than an ape. Because I rule over the apes. Did you know that? I rule over the apes. When When I go to the Denver Zoo, they put signs up and they say, the apes are just like us. Really? Then why is that ape behind six inches of plexiglass? I mean, if he's just like us, just let him just, that's what I'm going to do. We're going to take our kids to the zoo this summer, and we're going to go to the zoo, what, what would that be, the zoologist, the keeper of the zoo, the zoo man, zoo woman, and we're going to say, hey, I read the sign, I'm in full agreement, apes are just like us, why don't we just let them out? Because they're not like us. They're beasts. That's what they call them, the beasts of the earth. They're beasts. It's okay. Call them. I mean, God made them, and they're special. But not like us. They're beasts. They add value. And this will change the way when you go to the Denver Zoo, whatever zoo you go to. Wow, God made these animals in swarms. But we're not like them. No, our purpose is to rule over the earth. God goes on and says, God created man in his own image, and he uses the word man for a good reason. More on that next week. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, male and female, and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Sounds like the animals, but we're called to subdue it. And to rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is called the creation mandate. This is why we are here. This sermon tells us where we came from and why we're here. We are to be fruitful and multiply. Sexuality is a blessing. Perverted worldviews try to decimate God's original intent. We are to multiply and fill the earth. And we are to subdue it. We are to make it better. In every area, the arts, athletics, construction, electricians, 
teachers, coaches, remodelers, English as a second language teachers, bankers, computer studs. I don't what I don't know what your title is. Right? Every area of life. It's all part of this creation. We're to make it better. We're to take DOS and make it user friendly. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lauren French. And he does wonders with those things because he's subduing the earth. He's ruling over it. And things get built because you come together. You work together. You organize it. You lay the things down and you build it. And you remodel it. And I go, wow. And then when cars have wrecks, somebody seduce them. Well, that's going to cost you a million dollars. Well, good thing I've got insurance. And thank God for you who's created in the image of God to subdue the earth. You see how your life fits here? Subdue it. Make it better and rule over. We are not like the animals. I am not an animal hater. I'm an animal lover. But we rule over them. And when when betas die, we flush them. We flush them. We don't have services for them. We don't. We flush them. And we sit with daughters who weep for an hour. And it makes you weep because there's love in her heart. And you explain to her this is a creation and things live and die and thank you for taking care of it. But grab Ruby, Rosie, and Flusher. You laugh. But how I handle the death of a beta fish reveals my theology. Subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of the earth, and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, and in it it shall be food for you. So there was time when all we ate were vegetables. To every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the sky, and to everything that moves on the earth, which has life, I've given every green plant for food. Now, this isn't a case for vegetarianism. It's just showing God provides for his creation. He puts the processes in motion, and he provides for his creation. And God saw all that he had made, and he said, Meh, it's kind of so-so. He said, it's very good. And I will expand on the purpose of mankind, humanity, next week. Light water land, light water land. He formed it, he filled it, and then what? Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed. All their hosts were just discovering what was created We're just discovering it. 
By the seventh day, three times he says seventh day. By the seventh day, God completed his work, which he has done. It is complete. Ten times he said, and God said, and God said, and God said. And seven times he said, it is good. It is good. It is good. It is complete and it is perfect. And we just rule over it and subdue it. Then God blessed. And then he rested on the seventh day, not because he was tired, but he was speaking their language, setting the pattern, and he said, he rested as if to say, it is done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. So he gave blessings to the animals. We're not, we don't hate animals. They're just not like us. And he blessed humans, and he blessed this day. He blessed creation. And he sanctified it. He made it holy. So you could spend a whole semester on the image of God. You could spend a whole semester on Sabbath. It's all in this 34 verses. Because he rested from all his work, which he had created and made. Six days he created, seventh he rested. There's a lot of discussion out there. About the days, six literal days, day age, long periods of time. I'll just say it to you like this. This is not the time or place for that. It's not the point of the text. We can wrestle with that. You should wrestle with that. There's those men whom I love and respect and a lot of our intelligent design guys say old earth. There are men who I love and respect, and they say, Young Earth, R.C. Sproul, John MacArthur, Tom Nelson, it's Young Earth. There are guys I love and respect who say, could be Old Earth, definitely Young Man, Sidney Great Honest, John Piper. It's not the point of the text. It's not. Old earth guys get in trouble when they don't want to see it, the text as it sits. Young earth guys get in trouble when they don't want to take into consideration some things that science says happened in history. We used to think the earth was flat. No, we know it's round. It was a misunderstanding. It's not the point of the text. It's not the point of the text main point of the text. Why Moses wrote it. By the way, I lean towards young earth and I think science fits nice within it. We've got physics, we've got biology, and we've got anthropology all right there. But the main point of this text, with powerful words, the king of the universe created the earth good and for good. That's the point of the text. So when we face our neighbors, and they say, oh, well, Genesis is a myth. We say, no. You don't even know how to define myth. Because if it's a popular belief or tradition that has grown up around something or someone, especially abiding the ideals of a society, then yes, we believe that this is the creation account and that someone is God. Your myth is nonsensical. You have all these, quote, proofs, which aren't really proofs, but you've slanted them in your proofs. 
Yet you can't even tell me where it all began. You've you got to say Big Bang or Eternal Universe. That's, that's nonsensical. You, you can't say that. You've now just put it over in the realm where we can't touch that. I'm touching it. And his name is God. This text is not to communicate anything. In, well, it communicates some things. But it's not to communicate everything about science. It's not a scientific text. Science deals with things that have to be discovered. This text in and of itself answers the question science doesn't even deal with. This is where origins began. Genesis uses everyday language. It doesn't use, and then God said, let the H2O, and let the hydrogen and helium. He doesn't do that. The purpose of Genesis 1 is to answer the who and the what. God created the heavens and the earth. It is not a record of human history. This is the revelation of the origins of the universe. And in it, it deals with physics, biology, and anthropology. So when people ask about creation, just say, well, why does anything exist? And I know I'm going long, but sometimes you have to. Why does anything exist? People are not wrestling with science versus creation. They're wrestling with, if I say that there was an intelligent designer from whom the world began, I'll keep it over here in this realm because we don't know. Sounds scholastic. But if there is an intelligent designer, then he gets to tell me how to live. So I'm going to skew all the facts towards that, opposing that. If there is an intelligent designer and the one who creates, he gets to tell me how to live. Right? There shouldn't be a parent ever who's an evolutionist. Think about it. You get to take part in the creative process. And you name that child. Talbots didn't call me this week. Hey, what do you want to, what do you want to name our child? Right? They didn't. They didn't put a. They didn't put a uh, ad in the paper. Hey, thinking about naming our child. Anybody want to? You know, we just want to be sensitive to everybody. Let's have a vote. It's Jackson. It's Jackson Thomas Talbot. And they have the right responsibility to raise that child in the ways of God, just as God the Father names His children. Raises them the way he wants to. So this text does three things for us. Number one, it shows us how to think. God created the heavens and the earth. If, when there's chaos in the world, when there's corruption in the world, when you don't have a clue as to what to do in the world, you go back to there is a sovereign creator king who created the world good. And as we unfold... Genesis, we will see why it is bad, but I can trust in the original intent, and I have hope at the end, it's going back there. And here's one. Genesis 1 should affect our speech. The way we think, the way we speak. What should we take away from our consideration of of communication in Genesis 1? First, our our words belong to the Lord. 
He is the great speaker. The wonder, the significance, the glory of human communication has its root in his glory and his decision to talk to us and to allow us to talk with him and others. God has unlocked the doors of truth to us using words as his key. Our words have meaning because God used words to create the world. And it should affect what we do. Our ruling, our fruitfulness, and our rest points to something greater than ourselves. It points to the one who rules, the king of kings. It points to the one who bears fruit, the Holy fruit of the Holy Spirit. And it points to one day we're going to be in heaven on a new heavens and a new earth, a redeemed heavens and a redeemed earth. Until we get there, we need to know the one who makes it possible. He is the image of the invisible God. For by Him, all things were created, both in the heavens and the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things. He's eternally existent. And He is in, and in Him all things hold together. Hebrews Three says he holds him up by the word of his mouth. I want Judd to live one more day. If he wanted my heart to stop, he could have my heart stop. That's how powerful my Savior is. And you know what is most beautiful about the creation of the universe? It comes in Second Corinthians four, when Paul quotes it in the New Testament. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord. And ourselves as bondservants for Jesus' sake. Jesus is the king. I'm his joyful servant. And he gives the explanation in verse 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Does it not touch you when we're singing about indescribable, the God of the universe, and it says, He knows the depths of our heart and He loves us the same. Because that God who said, Let light shine out of the darkness, is the one who spoke into my heart. And I've come to know the Lord through the redeeming work of Christ. So you could take that main point and bring it to this conclusion. Through the person of the word, God the Father is redeeming the earth and making all things new. Father, thank you that you give us such clarity from the first chapter, how you did things. Thank you that you didn't give it to us in bullet points, but you gave it to us in a way that's memorable, that we can communicate it to anyone at any time that you formed the world and then you filled the world and you formed the lights and the water and the land and then you filled the lights and the water and the land and then you finished it. You rested and you call us to take care of the world and to give you honor while we do it. I pray that we would be a congregation, we would be individuals and a community that would never forget your creative ability and that you have made us in your image. Pray as we learn more about that, we might honor you in all we do.
pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.